Welcome to the Glow Through It podcast. I'm your host, Adriana Carrig, the CEO and founder of Little Words Project, and I have with me my co-host and sidekick, Mariah Grippo. We created this podcast to bring you inspiration, laughter, guidance, and most importantly, friendship, as we all glow through life together. Catch new episodes every other Thursday on Spotify and Apple streaming platforms. Follow us on Instagram at Glow Through It Podcast for behind-the-scenes content and information on upcoming episodes. And of course, shop the LWP brand at littlewordsproject.com and use the code GLOWTHROUGHIT to receive 15% off your order. Thanks, Thanks for, for tuning, tuning in. in. Hey guys, Adriana here. I wanted to talk quickly about an incredible opportunity for all young female entrepreneurs and creators out there who could benefit from a $5,000 grant. I am proud to be an ambassador for this incredible Seeds of Beauty campaign created by Florida Prairie. The campaign is all about empowering others to follow their dreams despite adversities and obstacles that may come along the way, which is something I truly believe in. Florida Prairie is offering three seed grants of $5,000 each to female entrepreneurs and creators who are pursuing their passions and bringing beauty into their communities. Florida Prairie wants to provide these creators with means to positively impact the world. Plus, as if it wasn't enough to love them, the wine is actually incredible too. With notes of strawberry and rose petals, so fresh and crisp, it is the perfect drink for a summer evening. To learn more and apply, head to the link in our show notes. Applications close August 31st. Hey, Adriana. Hi, Mariah. <laughs> Why don't we always start by saying hey? Like we haven't been working all day at 6 p.m. Right. I do not know, but I know I just killed an ant that was on the table right there in front of you. That's disgusting. Did it attack me? No, it was going to though, so I definitely saved your life in that moment. Did you see the bug that I killed in this office yesterday? No. That huge bug that I put on the little word story so you're not watching the little word stories that I post. <laughs> I don't always see the little word story that you post, but only when you post it because I know that you've posted it, so I actively avoid it. Just kidding. No, I didn't see it though. I don't really pay She's attention. evil people. Right. And this is how she started the business about kindness. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm laughing. Yeah, so today's episode is all about the beginning of Little Words Project, which we know you guys, a lot of you might know since a lot of you have been with us since the beginning because you're, you know, the, the OG diehards. Hell yeah. It's been such a long time that we've been doing this, but... Um, and to this very day, you still take bracelets home to check them on your couch. Well... That's only when seven we seven years later. To. Well, first of all, that is only because of COVID, because we've really all had to like pull out all the stops and, you know, figure out a way to make things work. But yes, I am But at least you're still, you know, you're hands on. I'm a big believer and there's no job too small. No matter who you are, what you went if you started the business. Right. Um so yeah, we wanted to take you guys on a little journey of how Little Words Project came to be and how it was started, so that it's just all um, immortalized, if you will, in our podcast in one place. So with that said, here it goes. <laughs> it all started when Adriana was bullied her whole life. That's true. And from there, she said to herself, you know, instead of being bitter and angry and hating everybody that bullies me, instead, I'm going to make these plastic word bracelets feeds on a string. <laughs> And I'm going to eradicate bullying through these bracelets. Enter Little, Little Words, Words Project. Project. It's actually funny because Mariah fills out a lot of my interview questions and they have to ask about how it all started. So you could probably do this from start to finish without even needing me in the room. No, I was going to actually ask you if you didn't want to be a part of this one. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you said we need to record this episode, I was like, oh, so you can leave. 
Yeah, because I'm not even necessary anymore, literally. Um, So yeah, that was kind of it. I never thought I would eradicate bullying because that's just like an impossible task. But I did want to create a a brand that was – the whole purpose of it was to like infringe on the territory that bullying takes up and that cruelty Mm. takes up. And to literally just be another product that, you know, a woman could look down at her wrist and have a second look, have a second consideration at whether or not they were being rude to others or maybe even unkind to themselves. So that's what the bracelets are. Like when you're going through a tough time, look down. When you're when yeah. you met someone who needs a little bit of encouragement, look, look down. down. Send it to her so that she can look down. Mm-hmm. So it's really just meant to bring kindness back into the girl world that we all grew up dealing with and all grew up living in. Um, and if you listen to my episode a couple episodes back about um, my bullying situation, my bullying story, um, you get a more full picture as to why it was that I felt the need to create something all about kindness. Um, so yeah, so that's where Little Words Pressure comes to be. So I'll I'll tell the story from up to when you got here, and then you can kind of tell the take the reins. From okay, there. okay. So it all started on April third, nineteen ninety. It's the day you were born. A young girl was born onto this earth. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, two thousand thirteen. So actually, let's back up. Two thousand nine. I joined my college sorority at PCNJ. I was a Delta Zeta, and I was the VP of recruitment. And I needed to come up with a way to quote keep the love circulating. That was literally in our assessment packet. As a VP, you had to fill out all the things that you did so that you can continue being a legitimate on-campus sorority organization. So I had to put in there what did I do special that kept the love circulating in the group. So prior to college, I had been a big, I had been hugely involved in my church's youth group back in high school. And it was just a really great community that really helped me feel like I wasn't alone with everything I was going through. I made so many great friends and memories through that. Um, And we, at that church, we used to do something called warm fuzzies, which were these little yarn balls that we would make, these yarn ball necklaces. Hmm. And and, that sound? It was like a hmm sound. No. So... These yarn ball necklaces that we would make and we would wear them for um, like our talks or any like throughout the week. And then the idea was we would pass the yarn ball necklace on and hug the person, which LOL that ever being something that ever happens again, hashtag COVID. Um, But the idea was we're spreading warm, fuzzy feelings. And so we called them warm fuzzies. So fast forward back again to college. I was like, you know what? Let's create. I'm going to create a version of these bracelets I was making for myself growing up because I always had these little – I've always been making beaded bracelets like a lot of us have been as women. And I'm going to combine that concept with the idea of warm fuzzies and we're going to create a bracelet that you pass along person to person. So that's literally how the idea was formed back wow. in 2009 to wear bracelets that we would pass amongst ourselves that literally kept the love circulating. Um, made my first batch in my college dorm room. Um of those bracelets pretty soon the girls were placing orders with me they weren't buying them but we were using the sorority budget to purchase the materials and it was really just a part of our sisterhood budget at that point so everyone had i mean we started out with inspirational words and then it turned into inside jokes and everyone had an armload of these bracelets now they weren't the cutest versions of the bracelets in the world this is we're definitely much cuter than the originals um but they were iconic. They did were, they have a tag of any sort or just the no, word and they were just, just connected? the word okay. and just the beads. Yeah. The tag didn't come into play until I really launched this as a full-fledged mm. business. So fast forward three years later, it's my senior year. I'm graduating and I knew, you know what? 
I hope this chapter continues. So we would like new pledge pledge classes would come in and we would all make bracelets for them and for each other. Like everyone, it was like an inaugural part of joining the sorority is you got a little, you, well, sorry, you got a warm fuzzy and everyone knew about them during rounds. Everyone knew if you saw a girl in, in these little bracelets, they're probably a Delta Zeta. So it was like this Cute. iconic symbol of sisterhood for us. So then I get out of college. Um, I graduate. I knew I wanted to keep these girls. I knew I wanted to give them the chance to still, you know, wear these bracelets, keep them a part of their community. So I anticipated they'd continue making them themselves. You know, eventually it, it grew up from underneath me where I wasn't the only one making them. And I was still very involved with the chapter. Um, Instagram had just come out at the time when I graduated, which is crazy. Um, and I knew that we had this possible opportunity to pass these bracelets person to person and put them on social media and do some sort of hashtag where you could see where the bracelets traveled to. So it was like, let's put the bracelet on social was kind of my message to them. I went in our Facebook group and was like, hey guys, like I know I'm washed up and graduated, but this would be a really cute idea to show all the places your bracelet has been. Mm. So they would go on and we, they would use hashtag warm fuzzy diaries. Again, this was something cute. that came yeah, up yeah. in my brain one day and I was like, oh, I got to tell these girls. Um, and we would hold them up in different places and we would take photos. And I even, I went to Australia and I took a photo of a bracelet um, in front of Ayers Rock and in front of the, the Sydney Opera House. And cool. we would hashtag Warm Fuzzy Diaries. So I'm sure if you actually look up that hashtag right now, you'd see I'm literally old, about to I, you, you got it. You'll see old little words, Warm Fuzzy F-U-Z-Z-Y Diaries. Um. So as that's happening, you know, I'm about another – Holy wow. Yeah. Look at the letters. Yeah. We'll have to post those as the story this is cool. this one. Um, but yeah, so they were super um, – it was just like a super unique concept that with the advent of Instagram, I thought, you know, this could actually be a really cool way to keep track of this traveling sisterhood bracelet. And then time goes on, about six months goes by, and I am – at my boyfriend's house at the time, who is now Bill. Um, and he had reached, we had, we had, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, essentially, and was just like, wait a minute, what if I made this a product that I sell to women everywhere? Like, why is it just this one chapter at this one school? Why not create a sisterhood for the masses? So I woke up in the middle of the night one night and I had the epiphanal moment of, I'm going to need to create something special with a some sort of trackable component hmm. that would make this bracelet traceable over time. Like if you're passing it on. Going it also for, sets you apart from every other person that could make a bracelet. Yeah. I mean, I, at that time, I really wasn't thinking about how am I going to be unique? It was really – because I wasn't thinking I was going to make a business out of it. I was just yeah, like, yeah. wouldn't this be cool? And yeah, then keep up with. once I had that idea, I was like, oh, okay, see, this could be real. This could be a legitimate yeah. business idea. Um, and I remember two things happened that were the catalyst for starting this business. One, Shark Tank. Mm. It was like the height of Shark Tank and Scrub Daddy had just come oh, out. That's yes. that sponge, that happy face sponge. You know, that's always the one my mom refers to too and my dad. They're like, you know, if you go on Shark Tank, just like the Scrub Daddy. I'm like, oh God, is it the only example? But it's like everyone's favorite Shark Tank well, item. it's because and it works. it's so simple, yeah, so unique. So simple. And I was like, wow. Because the whole time I was like – I'm not going to be able to sell these bracelets. It's too simple. Who wants it? It's dumb, whatever. Yeah. And I would I would downplay it to myself. Yeah. 
And then I saw Scrub Daddy take off and I was like, oh my God, I'm done. Like this is something that is due. I'm like the last thing that I want to have happen is I'm watching the show in a few years and here comes a bracelet with little words on them. I'd be like devastated. So I was like, let me, you know, let me think about, let me give this a shot. Then I read a book called The $100 Startup, which I would recommend to anybody who is interested in starting their own business. And the whole concept, the whole premise of the book essentially is you could start a business with no more than $100. And I know that not everybody even has that, but at the point, at the end of the day, like you can, you can scrape that together over time. Right, right. And uh, what we did, what, so what their whole concept was, um, all you need is something to sell, someone to sell it to, and a way to collect their money. Hmm. And that makes you a business owner. Right there, you have a business. Hmm. And that was a huge selling point for me of just giving it a shot. Um, and seeing what I could, what I could do. So next step was I reached out to my chapter and the younger girls and that were in the sorority, the older girls that were part of it, um, when I was there and was just like, would you guys be okay with the concept of me starting a brand out of this, taking it and making it, you know, full-time company. And that is kind of how it all began. I, I, they reached, they got back to me and they were like, 100%, I love the idea. You need to do it. I was at first really worried about taking this sisterhood thing from them and making it my own. Um, but I knew that I was always going to support Delta Zeta, TC and J. I knew that I was always going to scream from the rooftops that this was started as a, you know, in Delta Zeta. Um, and I, I thought that one day that could actually be a really good leveraging point for them when they're going through rounds and they see girls in little words to say, you know, that started here. And that's exactly what they do now, which yeah, is really cool. So cool. And that's obviously your plan, I mean, like post-graduation, you had another life plan, right? Oh, yeah. I was an English major in college. And after graduation, I was going to law school. So there was a period of time, as everyone knows who listens to the podcast, that Bill and I were broken up. That was in from end of 2012 to early 2013. So during that time, I had already thought of the idea of um, the Instagram usage, but I hadn't thought of the idea of the business yet. So I was flailing, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was working at a PR company. Then I left and I went and traveled to Australia. I backpacked Australia for a, f- a few months came back and started working in marketing, but I was also taking the LSATs because I wanted to go to law school at that point. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to law school. Um, and I had I had toyed with the idea of going to law school for a little while before even working in marketing. I took my first LSAT my senior year of college. So right. it was always in the back of my mind. Um, I, I took this, so I took the first LSAT in college, then fast forward to Bill and I getting back together, beginning of 2013, was studying for the second LSAT, came up with the idea for the brand in um, early June. And the LSAT I was going to take was in October of that year. So You're so was, good with dates. I know. Like, I can't I remember, even remember I know. anything. That, what I ate today. Well, this is when I started my baby. Like this is yeah. the beginning of that. Like, I, you know, you remember certain pieces of your journey, you know? And I remember everything about my relationship with Bill. So it's yeah. like these Those two things two intersected. Yeah. Um, and because I have nothing to live for. <laughs> I can't remember anything. <laughs> Not one date. You're fine. Not one moment. You have so much to live for. When did you start working at Little Words Project? August 20. Nope. August, it was in August? August 7th. No, I was saying the year. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, August 7th was the date? Yeah, it was the day after I got engaged. You're right. Yeah, August 7th. What was it, 20? 
17. No, I think it was 2016. 2016. 2016. Yeah. I had wanted – so I – Came up with the idea for the brand in June of 2013 and was taking the LSAT again in October of that year. So I was studying for the LSAT all through that summer. So from June through August, September-ish, I was kind of getting the ball rolling on the business. I reached out to the girls. They said, go for it. We're super supportive. Then I reached out to a friend of mine who I was in another sorority on campus who was starting her own website building company. And she created my, she started my website for me. Then I reached out to my, one of my best friends, his, her fiance or her boyfriend at the time, now her husband, um, her boyfriend at the time was, uh, Chris and he was really good with making videos. So I reached out to him about having some sort of campaign video put together. I was going to a local craft store originally to purchase materials to start making prototypes. And I remember I made the first prototype on my best friend Lara's bed mm-hmm. one day and I didn't have a gold tag yet. So I used this like little leaf charm to see what it would look like. I used Swarovski crystal beads. I used tiny little letters. I really made it really, really pretty compared to the original version that I had made. Um, and pretty soon it was just kind of like, a, it just was a, train I couldn't get off of if I tried. It just kept on rolling down the hill and um, it made it it made it easy to keep going because I didn't stop to think about what I was doing really, which is always my piece of advice for anyone who wants to start something. I might hold my answer is literally always, okay, just start it. Like just start. Um, you know, because it's so easy when you're taking the time to plan out a business plan, plan out all the ifs, buts, you know, ands and all that stuff that you can stop yourself from actually building a business. Whereas if you took the time to, you know, if you took all that energy you were spending and thinking about it into doing it, you'd actually be a lot further ahead than you would have been otherwise. So that's kind of just the, my MO. You know, I'm, I'm a, you, Mariah can attest to this. I'm just a big fan of like, have an idea, go for it. You know, I don't really sit to take the time to think it out. And that could be a downfall in a lot of ways, but it, no, but it got you here. It got me here. And it's definitely the person that I am at the end of the day. Yeah. So um, I always say I got the business on sale because I reached out to people in my, in my network that I knew were looking to start their own thing. And we kind of all collaborated together to create what I needed to create. And I always suggest that to people who want to start something too, is like ask. You never know what people are willing to do for you and help you with. But how did you know like – how to like where to start like how do you know that a campaign and a website would be the best way like did you have any business advice at all from someone like that you asked someone no um but I think that my experience with my sorority and being a VP of recruitment and having to market something because that's really what it is you're selling the the sorority to these girls to get them to want to join your, your your chapter and essentially selling your personality and like who you are And so I had applied what I had learned there where I really leveraged the idea of marketing like that. You know, we made videos for the chapter we had to make. We did little skits, like little things that would get people excited about who we are. And so that's why I knew I wanted to do a video. And I was also like a videographer growing up. I always did videos my whole life. And I just loved how much, how, what an artistry it was and how it evoked, um, you know, different emotions in people. So I was like, I need people to be connected to what we're creating. And that's why I thought that a video would be a, a great way to do that. Um, and I knew I wanted to create a website instead of just going the Etsy route, which was a big thing at that time, because Etsy was kind of still relatively new, um, popping off at that time. 
And I was like, I don't want to do Etsy because it lends itself too much to feeling like a crafted product. And I really wanted it to feel like it had a story and a mission and a concept. And it was a movement at the end of the day. Um, so I knew I wanted to create a website from the very beginning that I could have a, the video live on it and it could feel like its own home. Um, but a lot of it was Googling and it was reading that book and it was, you know, learning from what other people were doing. It was the ad, it was the beginning of Instagram. So I was able to kind of start following other, not many brands were on Instagram though. I was one of the first, I would honestly say of like new brands that were using Instagram in that way. Mm -hmm. It was at the time, it was a little bit more like the influencer world had just been starting. Everything was just brand new. Wow. Um, to Instagram. What timing. I know. And there were no other like female brands like it either. It was really more like, you know, you knew all the major brands. There were the yeah. stores you shopped at. Everything right. was in store. Online boutiques wasn't as huge, weren't as huge. You know, right. you just didn't really have that same touch. Um, so Instagram definitely, I credit, I credit Instagram with a lot of the growth of my business because it was my first and still best way to interact with my customers. Um, so at what point did you decide you were going to tell your family that you were going through with this? So it wasn't until a little bit later um, after I had taken the LSAT. So I had taken the LSAT in October and I was going to get my results back in November. Throughout that whole time, from June to October, I was obviously studying. I was also working in the city full-time. Like I had basically three full-time jobs trying to wow. – you know, make it to October to take this test. But my heart was not as in it as I thought it would be at that point. Like throughout that whole time, I was like, I just really am enjoying this concept of starting this business. Um, Bill and I were back together at the time. I really, I had his full support in it. He was helping a lot with it. He actually is the person who came up with the name. Um, another element of starting a business is going through the process of trademarking your name and making sure nobody else has the same name as you. Um, you know, establishing yourself as a business in your state and being able to sell things and apply ta sales tax and things. There was a whole element to that that I definitely didn't know anything about. And that's where Google definitely came into play. Um, were there any other names that you guys were like, about, like tossing around? I don't remember all of them, but I do know that I was going to originally make it the Warm Fuzzy Project. And that I wanted to have project because I really yeah, yeah, liked yeah. how that inspired movement and talked about like how it was really like a, a but like a mission. A mission. Um, oh, I'm glad you didn't do Warm Fuzzy. It's so cute. Yeah, but it's very youthful. and It's youthful, well, but it's cute. So that's how I found So I didn't do it because I looked it up on the USPTO. So USPTO.gov if you want to see other brand names that are available if you weren't thinking about starting your own business. And I saw that it was already taken. So Warm I, Fuzzy Project? Warm Fuzzies. So if you have Warm, warm like fuzzies. You kind of can't do any version of it. Um. So at that time, I a lot of how this all came to be too was me talking to so many people and being able to then say, this is what I'm starting. And it's that concept of always be closing, right? ABC. Always be talking about your brand because you just never know who that person is and how they can maybe help you in the future. Even when it's like you don't want to be talking about it, I still will force myself or force Mariah to give the pitch and talk about it because you just don't know. Um, and this is how I got my lawyer. I was talking to someone at a party about it and she was like, oh, I work for this guy in the city who specializes in trademark law. And I was like, oh, awesome. So I made an appointment with him. I went in and I told him my idea. 
And he was like, okay, great. Well, this is what we'll need to do. So same thing goes for finding the accountant that I worked with that got me set up with the business registration. And it's- Were these little elements expensive? Uh, not Did you have really, to start putting no. money into I it? I mean, no. the lawyer, no, because I, I found someone that was willing to not take me on a retainer. He was like, I'll just help you with this. You pay me for that. So I did spend $5,000 of an initial investment. My business did not cost me $100 um, to start. It cost $5,000, but that was money I'd worked towards. I'd saved up on my own. My parents did not contribute to my initial investment. Um, they did contribute in that they let me work out of their basement for a large portion of this. Um, but I've always been really proud of that. You know, It was money I earned through working. And um, he was really, the, the lawyer was really open to, and he still is. I don't pay him a retainer. He's like, he's loved watching us grow. He's been so That's impressed cool. with us. He has a daughter that he's been giving the bracelets to since the beginning. Um, and he's still our lawyer to this day. So it's just, you never know again, who you're going to, who you're going to meet, who you're going to encounter. That's going to help make this process smooth for you. Um, so yeah, to answer your original question of when I told my parents, it was after I took the LSAT before I got the results back. That I was like, guys, I don't know if I'm going to go to law school, no matter what these results say. Like, I kind of have to see this through. And they were incredible about it. Like, my mom, my dad, they both were like, all right, how can we help? You know, it was really cool. just like, let's do it. And then I'll never forget one day I came home um, after work and my dad had set up this old folding table that we kept. And you used to make fun, so much fun of me for this old ass rickety oh table. Oh my God, the table. The table looked like it came out of the 70s, which I'm pretty sure it did. Um, but he had The set, whole Brady Bunch lunch table. Right. It was so old. But he had set that up in front of our big TV downstairs, like one of those old big boxy TVs that we didn't really use. He'd set it up. And then on the TV frame itself, he had made in little bubble letters, he made a poster that said Little Words Project, which I still have in my office now. And it was like my new office space, which was really cute. So right after the brand launched, um, we launched November 11th of 2013. And right after the brand launched, I got my scores back that I had gotten the exact same score as the first time I took the test in college. Wow. So all that extra studying, all that extra stuff, it was almost like, okay, see, yeah. this didn't tell me I'm going to Harvard, so I'm just not even going to, I'm not even going to worry about it. And I kind of let that be a sign and- um, I, I remember I got the scores back when I was in Bill's, uh, house in Morristown. We were like, we, he was there with roommates and we were setting up, we were getting ready to go to our first street fair in Milburn, New Jersey that weekend. And I was creating our first banner, all of our initial marketing materials Cute. I was putting together. Um, and I got the scores back and we were cracking up. Hi everyone. Adriana here. I'm so excited that I'm able to finally get this story out and see it all living on in one space on this podcast. And I hope that the lesson you learn at this point is that it might not always seem like the smartest decision in the world to start your own business or the safest where something like law school or med school or grad school in general or even just a typical nine to five job might be. It definitely is one of the most rewarding and exciting experiences that you can ever encounter. So if you're like me and you're stuck between two ideas or three different avenues or roads, go with your gut and believe in yourself as you never know what can happen next. So 
yeah, that was the very early days. My parents would come with me to street fairs. They would help bead as customers were ordering custom stuff. In the very beginning, everything was made to order. I didn't have any bracelets in stock that were just regular bracelets. Wow. Um, and those were really, f- you know, fun at the beginning times. How'd you make the website usable at the custom level? It's our biggest struggle to this day. Yeah, yeah. So actually, hold on, I'm I'm wrong. It wasn't originally made to order. I originally had like 10 words on there. Yeah, I had 10 words. Okay, okay. 10 styles. And, and that was that. That was that. Then, um, so that was for about four months. And I had, by that point, I'd found another guy through, um, I think the business is called, or the company is called Thumbtack or something along the lines where you can put in what you're looking for and then people reach out to you. So I was looking for a web developer. So this guy named uh, Joshua in Texas reached out to me and he basically set up the whole trackable component to the brand. The initial version always had the tags with the numbers on it, but we used Instagram as the way to track it. So you can actually also do hashtag little words project and try a couple random numbers. I don't know which numbers were used, but you could also do that and see which bracelets were used via via Instagram. And then eventually after a few months, I was like, I can't make an entire business where it's like Instagram is necessary for the product to work. So that's when I hired this guy, Joshua, to make a website where you could, it could be customizable and you can track the bracelets, but you put it in on the website and you could see it show up on a map and it was a really cool interactive site. And that was about six months into having the brand. Um, but the day I first launched, I'll never forget. I, it was 11, 11, 2013. We had a whole little, like, you know, your wish has come true. 11, 11, make a wish, whatever. Um, little words is here. And my sorority, the whole chapter shared that link on their Facebooks. So I got so much immediate coverage basically because it was so spread out and we were profitable. We made our $5,000 back and more. And by we, I mean me, my dad, and my mom um, in the first month. We launched right before Christmas. Great time to launch a business, by the way. If you can squeeze it in in October, November, you're in a good spot. And you were having the the number tags made? Yeah. So those were already getting made. Um, I believe I was already – I was having them made in China. I'm pretty sure I found a place that would do them in small batches for me. Um, I went on alibaba.com, A-L-I-B-A-B-A.com, and it's a great place for you to source things. Um, And I worked with this one factory for a little bit, and I was getting – still getting all of my materials, all my letters, though, and my crystals and my string was all being bought in bulk at these – at this uh, craft store. Mm -hmm. So – I was going, I was buying the the pre-made packs of letters at the craft store, but I was buying like 85 packs of letters. And then I was going home and on my, my spare time, me and my mom would sort through the beads and we'd put them all in their different boxes. So we'd put all the A's in one bin, all the B's in another, Mm -hmm. um, to make it easy. And our biggest issue back then was guess what letter? E. E. That's correct. (laughs) Can I get an E? Um, yeah, these were a nightmare for the entirety of this business. They still sometimes are to this day. I 
The letter E haunts me. The letter E is necessary. It's in so many words that you don't even realize. If I found the letter E, like let's say at my house right now, like there was just an itinerant E on the floor, which is very possible, I'd bring it in. Yes. I'd save it and bring it here. Yes. So yeah, it's just crazy how much I then had to grow from that stage of like going in. And I was at the mercy of that craft store. If they didn't restock their letters, I didn't know what to do. So that's kind of when- Were you ordering them online? No, I was going into the store and I was ordering and I would order through the, the people there and they were ordering from their factory. Wow. So I was not even working directly with the factories. Um, that wasn't until I got smarter and was like, okay, I now need to do this. So that's one thing I will say because I didn't have any experience, everything I learned, I learned after like a year's worth of trying it and failing at it. You know, so it was yeah. like, I tried to figure out to do those letters. Okay, then I had to figure out a new way to do them. So I always say like, if I had had a little bit more experience or had someone that was helping me or, you know, I had another person maybe to help me, like it wasn't just me by myself, then I might have learned things a little faster. Yeah. Um, but I always like, I, I, it was always this feeling that like, I'd have to wait for a full Christmas to go by for me to know what to not do the next Christmas. And then that mm -hmm. Christmas would come and I'd screw up something else. I was always out of something. I was always – I ran out of tags right before Valentine's Day one year, and I couldn't take advantage of Valentine's Day. I ran out of ease right before Mother's Day one year, couldn't take advantage of Mother's Day. So it was – inventory has always been a big sore spot for me. It still is to this day because as you grow, it's all relative. You know, Now yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, we're still dealing with the E problem, but now we're dealing with it in the hundreds of thousands instead of like 20. Hi, me again. As you can probably already tell, starting your own business is not always easy, nor is it always very convenient. But if you do have an idea of your own and you are interested in doing something about it, then just go do it. Now it might mean long hours, late nights, working three jobs at a time, but if you stick with it, it'll all be worth it. Now listen in to hear what my schedule was like in the very beginning. I first started, I was working in marketing in the city. So I was going home after work at seven o'clock and I was staying up till three in the morning making bracelets with my mom. And then my dad would, luckily we're all night owls. My dad after three in the morning would then sh make all the labels and ship it out for me. You know, and like he would go the next day to the post office for Support me. Support really helped. So we really had that system, but I was still working. You know, I, I didn't just completely jump head first into this, pro this, into this process. Yeah. Um, but, it, but you're wired differently. Well, yeah, I, I think that, I believe that. Yes, for sure. I think there are we there's a, in society there are all different types of people, and there's a lot of different schools of thought around that. And I do think I'm one of those entrepreneurial spirits. I'm an Aries, like I'm very like I'll you know I have the idea. You're I want a doer. To, I want to keep creating things. I'm a doer. I'm not always a finisher. I will be honest. Like I and that's where I needed. I knew I needed to hire a team. So that's yeah. fast forward to the moment that I hired that team, I brought in a couple of people to help me work out of my studio apartment. At this point, we had, my, I moved out of my parents. Me and Bill lived together in a studio apartment in Jersey City. And I had two girls help me there day in and day out. And in that time, I was able to come up with the ideas. At the time, I was still executing, but I was able to have them help me execute and get things out the door while I had more time to think. And I think that's the con the constant difficulty of owning your own business and being an entrepreneur is we're all, we might be entrepreneurs, but are we necessarily CEOs, right? So you're con like, it's a whole nother job to then also sure. be the leader of a company, a leader of a team. So as we continued to grow, so from that first apartment, 
in Jersey City, we moved to a second apartment in Jersey City where it was two bedrooms and one bedroom was for the business. And that was the follow. So 2013, 2014, Bill and I moved into Jersey City studio apartment. 2015, we moved into the two bedroom apartment. 2016, we moved into our own apartment and Little Words moved into an office space in Hoboken. And that's when you joined. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that time, I was slowly but surely like collecting girls that could help me just help. You know, it wasn't yeah. like... Um, I'm mentoring one of these girls, right? One of um, my mentees right now who asked, you know, how do you know who to hire and when to hire someone? And it's, well, for starters, you hire when you know that you can't do it by yourself anymore. You've Mm -hmm. grown to a place where you can no longer do it alone. You quit your job when you, when you've grown to a place where you can no longer do both. You know, it's always like, wait for that time to happen and then put all your eggs in that new basket. Um, And so that's kind of how we grew. Like it was like every time we couldn't meet a deadline, I knew it was time to hire someone else. Every time I had to be up till six in the morning and maybe not sleep because I had to get on a plane for a trade show and I didn't have any of my samples ready yet and I was doing it all alone, I knew I needed to hire someone else. Yeah. And so it's kind of just letting letting the journey kind of unfold before you and letting it all make sense to you in its own time and then going. Don't get so bogged down in what you should or shouldn't be doing. Just keep going. Yeah, you know, keep going, keep living through it, and see what happens. Because um, you didn't really have like a business plan. You didn't have like a next steps. Like no, it just it all unfolded. You learned as you went along, and that's because I'm an entrepreneur, not a business owner. Like I, you know what I mean? Like yeah, I am an I am a person that doesn't sit and plan. I don't sit and plan anything. I don't plan a vacation. I don't plan like luckily Bill does the planning, and then I'll be like, okay, what like, what do we want to do today? Like I'm a lot lot more like. Let's just do what we want, you know? And part of what you do when you start hiring people is you hire people who know that, who are specialists essentially in their own right, who are good at their things that maybe you're not good at. Yeah. So my first goal was to hire people who knew what I didn't know and could do what I couldn't do. And then I hired Mariah and that whole thing. But no, you... You have been such a major help with the business because you were willing to do the things that I wasn't willing to do at some points. Like mm-hmm. I, I, or wasn't able to do by myself. And then also you're really good at selling this line. You know, you're yeah. better than me. You ha- you didn't have the fear that comes naturally to an entrepreneur when it comes to their baby. Like I didn't want to go up to celebrities. I did in the beginning when I was by myself and I saw someone out, but I didn't want to do it. You're like, who's that? Let me get it. And you would just take a bracelet and run up to them and put yeah. it on their wrist and get a photo. And, you know, you would do – at trade shows, you're willing to put yourself out there. And mm-hmm. it enables me to sit because, when again, when you're an entrepreneur, you don't necessarily want to do the work. You want to have the idea. You want to put it to action. You want to see others do the work. And then you want to have another idea, right? That's why mm-hmm. I'm out here doing all the other things in the – you know, I want to write the book. I want to do the podcast. I want to do the speaking tour. I want – and it's very hard to stay, you know, on that track. Yeah. But that's where your team comes into play. Yeah. Hi. Okay. So one of the biggest questions I always get asked is, okay, so you started your business, but how did you grow it? And I think one of the biggest attributions to growth that I can claim is that we started putting our bracelets into retailers nationwide. In the beginning, when we were just selling online, it was good, but we didn't have as much exposure as we would have liked. So once we started on the journey of trade shows and opening boutiques, we really started to see the money roll in. So let's listen in to that part of the journey. At what point did you realize, okay, 
I have this website. It's working. I'm selling my bracelets. It's great. But imagine if I was in a boutique store Mm. or imagine if a buyer were to see this at a trade show. Like when did that shift? And also, when did you even learn about trade shows? Because like I didn't even know what a trade show was until I came to Little Words Project. Is that a fashion thing that you just knew through the industry? No, no. Actually, trade shows, um, I credit Headbands of Hope with teaching me about trade shows. I didn't know anything about it. So Jess, one of our guests on the po- our first guest on the podcast, actually was the first person who introduced me to the trade show circuit. She had owned her own headbands business, and um, they were looking for someone to join them on one of their upcoming trade shows. They wanted to split a booth. So that was kind of how it started um, with me being involved in trade shows was they reached out about that. And that was when I was in the first studio apartment. Now, I didn't actually go to my first trade show until the second apartment. Um, but that's how I learned about it. And I didn't get my first, um, so I went to my, actually my first trade show was in Pennsylvania in Amish country. Hmm. And it was like, I don't even know what kind of trade show this was. Like it was truly hysterical. Me and, uh, one of my original team members went and we were looking and it was like truly like Amish country. Like there were people were selling like goat's milk soap and yeah, like, yeah, there yeah. were Amish people coming and buying it for their stores and it was just like I don't know how these bracelets fit in here like I just wasn't <laughs> sure if this was like what a trade show was like yeah, I really yeah. it was very country yeah. home like I just wasn't sure and now I did get a couple of retailers from that my first actually um, Mad Hatter boutique in Pennsylvania hmm. um, and it was her first time at a trade show as a buyer and her own boutique so we always bonded over like we started our businesses together Um, and then, so that was my first trade show, which it didn't pan out as great, but I learned a lot. I talked to the people around me and that was a big thing that I learned from being at trade shows is like, talk to other business owners. That's the best way to learn about what you got to, what you have to do, you know? And I asked this one guy, I'm like, tell me about, you know, what do you think about my booth? What do you think I sell? And he gave me so much feedback. He was like, well, first of all, I don't know what you sell because your sign is too small. Second of all, how do you sell these? How are you selling it to the retailer? Does it make sense to them? How are they going to display it in stores? I'm like, good point. Like yeah. I had just shown up with my street fair stuff and street fairs are very different. You know, trade shows totally. is when you're selling to other stores um, and they have to think about how they can sell this to their customer. I didn't know anything about pricing. I had, I had mispriced everything because huh. I was pricing for retail, which is my website and not pricing for wholesale, which needs to be like at least half of retail yeah. in order for a store to want to buy it. So I had to change my prices like four different ways. And you had to like think of how to organize them in your own brain in a way that like, okay, well, I have these beads at home. So if they want 10 of this exact word, I got to make sure I have that ability to make those 10 times however many words they get. Exactly. Like you had to put together probably, I don't want to say like packs because now we use packs for wholesale, but like no, yeah. it's not the same. They're not just walking over and being like, yeah, I'll have that one bracelet. No. They might yeah. say they want 50. Yeah. And then you knew you had to go home and make them. And you literally are making them. Correct. Um, yeah. So that was, that was unique. At the time it was, I had one other person that was literally the person yeah. all day, every day making bracelets with me until like two o'clock in the morning Wow. Um, because we had to get these orders out. So yeah, the trade show business, once, once wholesale started to pick up and I started to selling to store, started selling to stores, the, it was a new business. It was a completely game changed thing. Wow. Um, we would, I, I had, heard about this one woman she reached out to me via email and I never would respond to these emails and it was a rep her name was Eileen and she is was our rep from that day in 2015 
all the way through 2018 when she ended up launching her own boutique and we're now one of her best-selling styles in her boutique, which is cool. One of her best-selling SKUs. Um, but yeah, she initially started as a rep and she had reached out to me. She's like, I just love what you're doing. I would love to carry, I would love to be a rep for you. I would love to help you. And I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know about line sheets. I didn't know about minimums. I didn't know about product displays. I didn't know about anything until she came along. Um, and in that time, our second boutique, who is in our top 10 accounts still to this day, Marie's Jewelry in Connecticut, um, Dawn found me and on Instagram, which again, why I credit Instagram with so much. And she ordered a bunch of words. And to this day, like I said, one of our top 10 accounts. Um, and Eileen helped us get into so many different boutiques ever since then, including Von Mar, which was a major um, uh, in, in the Midwest, mi- Midwest uh, department store, which we're still in. And she helped me navigate displays that I would use. And things were, you know, she found me a manufacturer and it was just truly a journey um, that I remember thinking in my second apartment, okay, this, I need an office. I can't do this anymore. It's too much. I can't do it myself. I need manufacturing. I need help. Um, So that's actually when... I had been, um, Eileen had connected me with uh, Kelly, who is the owner of a brand called Lenny and Eva, which is a jewelry brand. And I worked with Kelly as a mentor. She was a mentor to me um, for about a year. And we did like kind of a royalty situation where she would guide me and teach me the ropes and tell me what I needed to do. And I went down to her office in Nashville and saw how they did things. And I really credit her with giving me a lot of just great insight into owning a business and how to, you know, handle like shipping issues and how to, you know, send marketing emails. And she really helped with a lot of that. And after our year was up, um, we continue to be great friends to this day and great brand friends. And she's another just serial entrepreneur launching new brand after new brand and does it expertly. So um, again, I think the lesson here, the story here is like keeping your, your doors open. Cause you just never know what might happen, right? You never yeah. know who you might meet, who might know someone who knows someone who can help you get to that next level. And that's really all I did. I just kept leaving my doors wide open. Random question. Who is like, did you ever have a celebrity wear the bracelet or just like a first famous cool person that you were like oh my god oh my god first of all so we worked um our first major partnership which you'd find interesting was um the always you know always brand yeah the pads and oh yeah, yeah, feminine yeah. Products. I, you know what's so funny i remember in like my first couple days of work i saw the little gold tags that said always on them and i was i literally i didn't ask but i was like this looks legit and yeah. so cool. Yeah. Like, what was this? It was so, long before me. Long before you. Yeah. It was um, a collaboration with Always. They found us. They loved us. And we did um, bracelets that said like a girl because they had had that fight like a girl or like a girl video that just came out. And it was a big Super Bowl commercial. It was awesome. You should look it up. It's like one of my favorite commercials still to this date. Um, and we made custom like a girl bracelets. We went to their conference and Maisie Williams, who is Arya in Game of Thrones, Thrones, was there. Mind you, I was not a Game of Thrones fan at the time. I did not watch any of the episodes. Now I'm like obsessed with that show. Me too. Oh, God. Um, 
And I knew it was, I knew she was famous because she was like the yeah. keynote speaker then. And she was a little younger and I had a smile bracelet with me and I went up to her. I introduced myself. I told her all about the brand. I put the smile bracelet on her wrist. She was so kind, so sweet, loved it. And um, then we got, you know, after that had passed, after time had passed, we got connected with OK Magazine somehow. I think I had sent, because I had been in PR before this, I knew the process of like sending out mailers and yeah. gifts and getting mailing lists. And I, my friend let me use her Cision account. And Cision is a system where you can get the, the mailing addresses for all these, um, all these celebrities. No, or, uh, not, not celebrities. Oh, like PR people? Yeah, like all these magazines. Oh. So I had reached out to all these magazine editors. I sent them bracelets. This woman from OK Magazine reached back out, said, are there any celebrities in the product? I was like, actually, I just put one on Maisie Williams last week. She was like, that's perfect. She put it up, and it was our first press hit that we had ever gotten that I have framed in my office because it was hmm. like our first moment of being out there to the world, and that was really freaking cool. That um, is cool. Yeah, so that was one of those big – was there ever a moment in the beginning where you were like, oh, nah, <laughs> I, I got to be done. Yeah. I give up. Like no. tonight I'm going to give up. No, I never, I never wanted to give up. I think that the hardest part has always been hiring people and, and managing people for me has always been the hardest part of having this business. Well, you've seen a lot of breakdowns of mine. Like, yeah, yeah. I think oh, yeah, one yeah. of my biggest, one of my <laughs> earliest and biggest was when we were in the Hoboken office and I had to, um, figure out shipping to a trade show. And once I started doing trade shows on my own, and I wasn't sharing booths. Like I, really couldn't wrap my head around any of the logistical elements. I'm I trying mean, to think of there, that there, breakdown. There were there were all different Me trying to remember your breakdowns. <laughs> no, there were like a hundred pages that you had to order everything. And I just like I couldn't do it. I was so hysterical. This was before I started taking anxiety medication. Like I was really just like caught up in that nonsense. So finally I was like, I, I just need, and I would take a break in the bathroom. I would sit on the toilet and I would cry. Like I would literally hysterically cry. I do remember you going into the bathroom and I knew that you were crying, but I don't remember that particular breakdown. So that's good. Yeah. That means it wasn't like that groundbreaking right. of a breakdown. Yeah. But I, that's, oh my God, I remember that. Wow. That like gives me the chills. I remember you, if something was so off. In terms of just like we made a mistake or something went wrong, I do remember like the bathroom escape. Yeah, I would go to the bathroom and literally cry. To it wasn't all silently um, because I didn't want the girls to think that I could, didn't have it under control. And I think once I relinquished that and I stopped trying to be this like perfect example of a boss to them, yeah, I think I got a, it got a lot better for me because I let it go and I was like, look, I, this is who I am. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to continue to make mistakes. But you know, if you guys can promise me to focus on the positives and yeah. you know the things that I did right and not make me feel awful about the things that I did wrong, then we're going to be okay. Yeah. And that's – I think of, we tried to do that. Yeah, for sure. Like we I tried think. to just be like, age, it's okay. Like we're going to figure this yeah. out. You figured it out before. Yeah. And I think I've gotten a lot better at not being so worried about it. Like it's not the end of the world. You're going to get there no matter what, even if something feels so dismal and – even if you're comparing yourself to other brands who seem so much further along than you and you just started and you're never going to get there and there's so much ahead of you, like if you try not to think about that stuff and you try not yeah. to let yourself compare yourself to others, I think you'll find that it's a lot more fun that way. Would you say that's like a word of advice maybe that you almost like 
wish you knew when you first started it? Like yeah. if you could look back. I think the number one thing I would have told myself when I first started was you're going to be successful no matter what, because that's just, you will not stop until you are, but you don't need to kill yourself in the process. Because I think that's what yeah. I really did. I think I, I torched my adrenal glands. I'm literally, my cortisol levels are all out of whack now. Like I literally yeah. have, have been told by doctors that I need to stop going a hundred miles an hour and rest and relax so that my adrenal glands get like back to normal because mm-hmm. I've completely ruined them by being up to, and like, I guess it's this beautiful double-edged sword because on the one hand, yeah, that's, that's being a business owner. That's starting yeah. a business. That's being committed to what you do and, and building something special from the ground up. But on the other hand, it's like, at what cost? Well, I think Marissa, who you're um, mentoring right now, is is a really, really good example of like more of a modern, not that you weren't a modern entrepreneur, but even seven years ago, I think entrepreneurism looked a lot different. Yeah. I think like she's asking for your help. She's yeah. immediately looking for a mentor. She had an idea. Yeah. She knows that you did it and she reached out. But Marissa, who, nice little plug for her, she has a tie-dye company called By Bruno where she hand, hand dyes everything in her office. Um, she has grown a lot quicker than we did. And I do yes. think that it's one, she has a really great product. Not that we didn't, but she is in an age where it's not, again, not that it's easy because I'm not discrediting how much she's done because there's so many tie-dye brands out there and she's kind of the... The, in my opinion, she's the head um, of all of them because of how much internal savviness she has about marketing. But she has this amazing tool of Instagram and these influencers yeah. and gifting. And yeah. she has access to addresses and she reaches out to people and she's not afraid. And there's so many entrepreneurial things about it. But we do live in an age where starting a business is not impossible. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Whereas I think that when I was starting again, I made, I had to like wait full years to figure out the mistake that I made last year, you know, mm-hmm. or like to have another chance to fix it. Whereas now it's such an ever changing process that you can yeah. kind of like pivot on a dime. For me, it was a lot different. And now there's almost like more, so many more small business options that like you can reach out to just for a word yeah. of advice. I mean, and I can literally name 10 brand friends, quote, that could like help us with something that we're struggling with. Yeah, and we do. We ask and they ask us and we really try to keep it like, we really try to practice what we preach and help spread the word and share. But when you first started, you didn't, you can't put all those pieces together and no. think like, oh, I can't wait to, you know, I don't understand this, but I can reach out to all my friends that I met at the whatever. Like when I When I first started, a lot of what it was about was just, blindly reaching out and hoping yeah. someone answered and and believing believing in what you were doing in your product and, and your idea talking about it and I think that's actually like I did believe in my product don't get me wrong I had a lot of naysayers I had oh a my lot. god yeah oh my god everybody was like are you sure you want them to look like that though like are you sure you don't want it to be like a word on like a pretty gold band I was like that's being done like this is not this is not being done the way it, I envision it to be done. You know, yeah. I think it's, there's some, like, yeah, we've done this in, in, in camp, but the idea is to bring it back and to make it cool again. And it was nowhere. I'm, I'm going to own that back. Okay. Me for probably the last time. I just wanted to pop in at this point to talk about knockoffs. It's something we didn't really cover in the episode, but it is definitely a significant component of starting your own business with a product that is unique to you. Like I said, we were really the only brand doing something that looked exactly like our bracelets that you know and love today. 
But now, one simple Etsy search and you'll find a ton of knockoffs. You'll even find people using our photography and replicating our designs with their own logos to pass them off as bracelets that look like little words, only a little bit less expensive. Now, I tell you this because I know you're not gonna go and buy from them since you know who the OG truly is. But I do think it's important that you understand how to handle situations like this if you're starting your own business. Knockoffs will always exist. If anything, it's kind of a form of flattery, but it doesn't mean it hurts any less, especially in the beginning. So all I can say is to keep on going, focus on yourself, do you, and know that the people that you are building around you, that community of customers and family and friends that are going to sing your praises, they're going to stick with you, especially the good ones. And those who go off to purchase less expensive products or products that are complete and total copycats of your own, you didn't want them in the first place. I know it's hard and a lot easier said than done, especially in today's day and age, but there's plenty of success to go around for all of us. Just revel in the fact that you were the first and keep on going. Have you guys, you guys, <laughs> I'm becoming a whole interviewer <laughs> for the brand that I work for. I'm crying. Um, so have you guys ever struggled? <laughs> Has Little Words Project ever struggled financially? I think that's like an important factor of just starting a business that people always wonder. Like, I wonder if that yeah. business ever struggled. Oh my God. Yeah, for sure. I remember my first year I made like, I think we profited like $30,000 and I had to pay like 25000 of it to taxes. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like this wow. is what this whole business is for? Like this is garbage. Like I'm literally walking with $5,000 and I don't even pay myself. So this was at a time when I was still in wow. my parents' house. I was hysterical. Like I was like inconsolably bad. And my mom was like, do you want money? And I'm like, <laughs> kind of. Like I, I didn't know what to do. So my mom actually did invest ten thousand dollars for nothing she got nothing in return and i'm like mom you technically could be like a 75 percent owner with that investment because right. we really didn't we weren't worth much um but she's like honey all i want is your happiness so it was helpful to have that little thing to fall back on but since then of course there have been plenty of times i mean there are there were months even as recently as like last year that i was looking at what we were because we've never taken outside capital literally except for that ten thousand dollars from my parents um um, until COVID, of course. But within that, all that time, I don't have investors. I don't have people. We, we never took a loan. We never had a, a cre- line of credit. We never did any of that. And there was a point where I was like not taking a paycheck mm-hmm. so that I could make sure everyone else got paid because we were spending so much in inventory and it yeah. was in between trade show season. So there were months where I had to really be like writing down exactly what we were going to have to pay and knowing exactly what we were going to have coming in. Yeah. And it's hard because that's not something that I, it's not my forte. Like I literally went to college to be an English major so that I didn't have to do math. And then I started a business. So the joke's on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did end up becoming something that I, I became used to. And I think for me, I'm a big believer in like the abundance mentality. And I'm super expanded around the concept of money. And I think it's because I've just always believed that it was going to work out like I'm not someone who pinches pennies or counts or is my and my husband will gives me shit for it all the time because he's like Adriana you have no concept of money I'm like no I do I just have no concept of not being okay like I have no concept of not being successful because I just know I'm gonna be and it goes back to that crazy belief in myself 
that has led to my crazy belief in our ability to like make it mm-hmm. without having a, a millionaire investor. Was there like any big pivotal sale or like big moment that we had that really started getting us like real money that looked different than those like little mom and pop deals? Yeah, the the Saks order that we had. It was our first major, major department store order. It was in, it was like six figures. It was pretty insane. And I was like, that Saks moment oh, was cool. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is, yeah. And that Saks moment, when we got Saks, it came from going to one of these trade shows that it was otherwise kind of a dud. We weren't yeah. really making a lot of orders. Yeah. We were kind of like, why are we doing this? And just but we just believed that it was a good setup. You know, we got free breakfast and lunch. Like, it was a it was a trendy vibe. We were like, let's give it a shot. We gave it a couple shots, and we were giving out bracelets as a part of the yeah. the partnership with the trade show company, so that we didn't have to pay for our booth. Again, being scrappy, trying to be resourceful, and we met this woman who was the buyer for Saks, but she also happened to be the older sister of one of the kids I went to high school with. And we bonded over Livingston and how mean it was. And she was so sweet and really believed in what we were doing. And um, her name was Anna. She still is. Like, I, you know, we're on it. We're Instagram friends. She's had a baby. Like, it's just nice to know that these people who, you know, everything comes full circle. Yeah. Again, it's just all about talking. And that got us sacks. And if it weren't for sacks, you know, we wouldn't have had the clout that we had to get a couple of other of our future like it on the view partnerships yeah the view was an awesome opportunity for us that happened like near the timeline of sax i yeah. feel like they they believed the clout from that and yeah. it was like oh okay and the view was really hard for us to pull off because we were trying to oh get on God. good morning america for the longest time and we were we were basically chasing down the woman who was in charge of the gma steals and deals and she was kind of uninterested in us like I, I'm not, t- I'm not kidding you guys. Like there have been so many times where Mariah and I would have would be at a trade show and we're pitching and like the faces that people would make at us, the the laughter, the the right. hands in the face being like, I'm not interested. Like yeah, just I'm completely good. people asking, people actually wear this. Remember that one? Oh my god! When the girl was like, people actually wear this product. So it's like we have dealt with so much just cruelty from other people about this brand because, yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to pack a big punch. It doesn't look like it's going to be driving millions of dollars in revenue because it's literally plastic on a string. But it's so much more than that. So what is it? What is, like, what is the Little Words Project's secret sauce? (laughs) What makes it more than that? Yeah. Um, I think it's our community. I really do. I think it's hands down the community of girls that we have we have found here. I mean, our customers are loyal. Our our they're friends in a lot of ways. You know, having our yearly or annually, we have a party at the office or at a local venue, and we invite girls from our community, the nice girl gang from the local community, or anyone who wants to come to it wherever you you live, and having that experience with them, yeah. it really opens your eyes to like how much people really just they they cherish these little this plastic on a string you know and it's because of how we market it and how we um share the message and we're so committed to what we do and people i I hope it, it comes through authentically and i think that's also one of my biggest pieces of advice for brands out there it's like you know the amount of times i tell people that i mentor to put yourself on instagram show your face put a name to the, put a face to the name for these girls like let people see the behind the scenes that's something that we really we're one of the only brands that do it and i think it's so important to do and 
the girls that I work with often are like, I'm just too nervous. I don't want to. I don't know what people will think and da da da. You can't care. You know, the first thing you got to do when you're starting a business is not give a shit what other people are going to think because you're going to feel really dumb for like a really long time because you're going to be Instagramming and posting to like three followers and you're going to feel like you're a joke to anyone who's like, oh, that's cute. You make bracelets. That's adorable. And it sometimes felt really bad in the yeah. beginning. I was yeah. like, yeah, um, yeah, no, but there, it's really great. Like we actually made this much money. Like I yeah, used yeah, to yeah. feel like I had yeah. to drop the number. Yeah. Um, you make these yourself? Well, not really. Yeah. People would be like, wait, you make all of these yourself? And I'm literally like, no, I literally haven't made a bracelet in four years. But mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we have people that come in here now into our office. We had a delivery guy of food the other day. Come, right. come into the office. We're in the middle of the Today Show craziness he comes in and he goes oh what are you guys doing making a bunch of bracelets we're like mm-hmm yeah we're he's like what are you amateur jewelry makers I'm like yeah we're so amateur and the girls are like so like you guys are all like much more like you'll you'll you won't play into it you'll be like yeah but we were just on today's show we were just da 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 so one of the girls was like we were just on tv today meanwhile I'm just like yeah no we're just we're here little girls just making bracelets you know <laughs> like I try to like laugh about yeah, yeah. it and you guys won't take it. You're like, no, we're legit. And so they're like, we were on TV today. And he goes, oh, yeah, what What were you on? Nickelodeon? Ha! Cracks. <laughs> he cracked up, truly. Like When he said that Nickelodeon line. He really was like, I made the best joke. He thought that was so and funny. And I'm like, He's yeah. Like, oh, look at these little kids, these little girls making these Nickelodeon bracelets. Like, right. what? So, yeah, it still happens. It's going to continue to happen. And you yeah. just got to take it on the chin and keep going. Because, honestly, what people think doesn't matter. And it'll... It, and it starts with you because yeah. literally I only cared about your vision. Yeah. Like I saw the person behind this brand as revolutionary. And I Thank knew you. that up until now. That hasn't changed. And I think that's the key component to starting anything. Yeah. When you practice what you preach and when you believe in yourself the way that you do – that's how you create yeah. multi-million dollar businesses. Yeah, and when your customers care about you to the yeah. point where they're like asking you about like your fertility journey, which all of my customers are just so incredible, like and they know me and they feel like they're friends with me, like that's that's driving community. That yeah. is driving sales. Sure. That yeah. is why people keep coming back and they'll buy my product and not the knockoff in Michaels. If it weren't for each and every one of our customers, we wouldn't be the brand that we are today. And people always ask like how did you become as big as you are? Well, first of all, we're not huge. We yeah. only have, you know, I only have 10 full-time employees. You know, we're we're only in a, you know, we're in a 2,000 square foot office space. Yeah, that's yeah. that's big compared to my parents' basement and it's, you know, definitely significant. I'm not trying to downplay it, but compared to these major brands, like we still have a ways to go. We didn't grow as quickly as some of our counterpart brand friends, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But it's because we've been scrappy. It's because we've been lean. And it's because we recognize that you can have an incredible business without having to skyrocket with an initial investor or going after a seed funding round. You know, you can just learn as you go, build a community that is true and faithful and grassroots it until, you know, you see the fruit of your labor. And that's what we did. So... Thank you to all of you for keeping us going and continuing to come back and stacking those wrists to your elbows because we don't know what we would do without you.
Thanks for tuning in. If you loved this episode and it resonated with you, leave a review. Don't forget to use the code GLOW through it to receive 15% off your order on littlewordsproject.com. Have a cool topic or question? Submit it via email at hello at glowthroughitpodcast.com.